Hey, why don't, you, uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand. So if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, then grab one of these. Say, throw your hand up and say, this is my Bible. You take this home as our gift to you. And I've said this before, if, if you don't want a paper Bible like this, I'm sure if you go to our Lost and Found, there's some sweet leather ones there. Grab one of those. Take that home as somebody else's gift to you. All right. Grab a copy of God's Word and go to 1 John chapter 3 as we continue in this series through 1 John. As you're going there, have, have you ever had this thing where, you were, where something's in your car and it's making a noise as you're driving? And, and so you take your, your car, you take it to the mechanic, and first you have to get through the hurdle of describing the noise, right? It's kind of a, and you're trying to make the noise, right? And, and the mechanic goes, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. You leave your car with the mechanic. They say, pick it up in a couple days. You come and you pick it. You pay them. You pick it up. You're starting to drive home. And then what happens? You hear the sound again, right? And, and you start to wonder, man, did they even look at my car? Did they, did they fix this thing? Is, is this mechanic even qualified? Are they honest? Are they reliable? Why, why would we say that? Because there's no evidence of the change you were hoping to have happen in your vehicle. Now, the same can be said of our Christian life where where the Bible talks a lot about change that happens when we give our, our lives to Christ and God's spirit then fills us when we're in Christ, the Bible says we bear fruit. There's, there's an evidence of that. I don't know about you though, but I've been tempted oftentimes to think that maybe scripture doesn't actually work in the real world. And I, I've doubted that the grace of God is powerful enough to really change me, to really change my relationship, to really change my family, to really change my life. And, and I think so many times Christ followers are tempted to, to limit their expectation of what God can do. And we quit believing that fruit can grow. We give up trying for, for anything more than just going through the motions, just doing kind of the religious checkmark Christianity and, and our heart begins to grow cold or apathetic and we, we no longer attempt great things for God. We no longer reach beyond our grasp. We no longer take advantage of the Holy Spirit's power in our hearts and lives and we stop really living out the Christian life that we know Scripture's promised is ours. And so then how do we defeat that doubt? I mean, how can we really live out of the truth of who Scripture says who we are in Christ? What's that look like? I mean, this is the big reason John wrote this letter to us. He says, I, I write these things to you that you would know, that you would know who Christ is. You would know the love of God poured out for you. Here's this old man, followed Jesus since he was a teenager, served him faithfully all his life. He, he actually literally saw Jesus crucified, then three days later saw him raised from the dead. And here he's been serving him and he's getting to the end of his life. And he's like, I got one last thing I need people to hear. I got something so important to talk about. I, I wanna talk about what really matters. And so, so what does John write about? As he writes these last letters he sends out, what, what's the most important thing to him? And listen, it's not church politics. He doesn't write about that. It's, it's not a lot of details about religious activity that you could be going through. He gets right to the heart of what's important. He's saying, listen, if Jesus is real, 
If, if he's God the Son who, who came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die in our place, to take our penalty for our sin, if he really rose again from the grave to conquer sin and death and Satan and ourselves, if this is all true, if, if this is the true love of God displayed for us, man, this love changes everything. John's saying, because of this love, this is what really matters, the love of God poured out on us because of this love. Man, I can't live the same way I normally would live outside of knowing about this. He's saying it should change the way we act. It should change our priorities, change, change who we are, change who we are. This is if you're a student, changes who you are at school. It changes who you are at the workplace, changes who you are as a parent at home, changes who you are as a kid at home. It changes who you are in your community. He says, if we really get this love of God, it changes everything. But the question you ask is, yeah, but how do I know if I've really grasped this love? How, how do I know if I'm really walking with him? How do I know if I'm really in union with him? I mean, what should my here and now look like based on that, that past truth of Christ's death and resurrection, based on the, the future hope I have, the certainty of his coming again, what should my life look like? Now, there are two things I want to do this morning. Uh, I want to encourage and I want to challenge. I want to encourage, I want to bring hope. If you're here this morning as a Christ follower and you're battling with this doubt, you're, you're saying, man, man, does God really love me in this moment that I'm in right now? Now, I want to encourage you. But I also want to challenge you if you're here this morning with superficial faith. If you're here this morning and you would have a, a fake faith, you would have a faith that is not authentic, my, my hope is to challenge you this morning. And, and on most Sundays as a preacher, I'm kind of walking this, this tightrope. And, and I know there are people here who love Jesus and, and you're authentic in your faith. And I, I want to encourage you that, that this letter is written to you to encourage you, to give you hope, to give you confidence. I mean, that's what this passage is primarily about, but at the same time, I know that there are some people sitting here who don't have saving faith. Maybe you're still kicking the tires, still checking it out, or maybe, maybe you have a superficial faith. You have a, I'm just going through the motions, doing the Christian kind of things, but, but nothing's really changed in my life. And if that's the case, I, I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to, to, to truly, to biblically, even this morning, to put your faith in Christ alone to stop playing games with Jesus while you love the world. And, and so we come to this text here, this text we're opening up this morning and we're asking, how, how is it that I can have a true authentic faith, not a superficial faith? How can I be encouraged to have the hope of Christ in me? Because here scripture is saying that we can have eternal life and, and you ask, well, how can I be sure so let me, let me read through these verses here and then we'll unpack them this morning. Starting, actually back up a couple verses, the last couple verses in chapter two. We'll start in verse 28. John says this, he says, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. 
and we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep sinning because he's been born of God. By this it's evident that you are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let me pray before we jump in this morning. Lord God, I just pray that as we, as we dig into your word this morning, God, that your spirit would be at work. God, that you'd be changing us. Lord, where our hearts need to be broken, would you break them? Where our hearts need to be lifted up, Lord, would you lift them up by the power of your word? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, for John, everything is listed out here. For John, everything boils down to our identity. What he's saying is, hey, hey, be who you are because you're out of your identity, your actions are going to flow. Who you are will determine what you do, is what John's saying. And he starts off in verse 28 with that phrase again. He says, he's used it over and over again. And he, he says, little children. I mean, no, no matter how old you are this morning, that, that phrase, little children, it's, it's coming from John, but it's all ultimately coming from God, the Father. And he's saying, dear children, if you know Christ, that's who you are. If you're a note taker this morning, there's our first point. God is our Father. God is our Father. This is the reality of who you are if you're a Christ follower. And it's, it's so important that you get this, that God is your heavenly father. In fact, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, he, he, he says that you can see how much somebody really understands Christianity by how much they make of the thought of being God's child, of having God as their father. You can, you can see, man, do you, do you really get what it means to be a Christian? And he says the way you, you see if somebody really gets it is it's what they make of this idea of being a child of God, this idea of God as your father. I mean, this is good news. I mean, maybe this morning you, you, you didn't have a dad growing up. Or, or maybe you did have a dad, but he wasn't a very good dad. Man, this is good news that you have a father in heaven. Or maybe this morning you can say, no, you know what? I had a really good dad. My, my dad was, was, was a great dad. This is still good news because God's a lot better than even him. God is a perfectly loving, perfectly powerful, perfectly wise, perfectly kind father. Listen, as a Christ follower, this perfect, all powerful, all kind, all loving, all wise, sovereign God of the universe, he is your dad. He's your father in heaven. In fact, so much should this blow our mind. John says in verse one of chapter three, after saying that we're, we're his children, he, he says this, see what kind of love the father's given to us. Now, it doesn't jump off the page like it would in the original Greek. In the original Greek, this is John bursting out with a phrase that's hard to translate. So it's this phrase that's basically saying this, look at this love that's out of this world. 
It, it's literally saying this is a, a out of country, out of country kind of love. He's saying it's a crazy kind of love that God would say that he's our father. I mean, this love doesn't make sense. It's, it's so unearthly. It's so otherworldly. It's so foreign to anything else we experience in this world. He's saying there's this out of world kind of love. And, and the result of this love, John says, this love poured out on you makes you called a child of God and not just called a child of God. He says that is what we are. John stops in the middle of this letter, all the stuff he's laying out, and, and he moves so quickly from, from head and doctrine and thinking and deep doctrinal stuff, and he moves so quickly to heart exploding in joy. He bursts out here. He's like, this is amazing. God is our father. I mean, salvation, it's, it's, it's not just God sitting as a judge on the bench and saying, you're declared free. You're declared righteous. I mean, that is true. In Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You've been set free, but that's not the end of the story. God, the judge, steps down off the bench, comes down to you, takes your chains off, puts his arm around you. He says, come home with me. You're my daughter. You're now my son. Scripture says that we've been adopted. I love that, that, that picture of adoption. I mean, that, that, that Scripture uses it. It's such, it's such a cool picture if you think about it. I mean, I, I love that in our, in our church family, there are so many adopted kids in our church family. And here's why I love it, because if you're here this morning as, as a kid who's been adopted, you are such a perfect picture of God's love for us. As your parents chose you in the same way, God chose you to be in his family. It's this relationship pictured here, just like adoption. It's a, it's a picture of there's a surety, there's a security. It can't be undone. You're, you're legally, officially in the family. As a Christ follower, that, that you would know that God, before the foundation of the world, Scripture says, they looked out across all of the sea of humanity and said, I want you. He said, I, I, I want you. I mean, think about that. He said, I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. The God of the universe chose you. You've been adopted into God's family. And, and listen, as, as unbelieving sinners, as those who are totally alienated from God, completely on the outside of the family, but, but in Christ now, God says, I brought you near. You're now in the family. You're adopted into the family. And John is saying, like we should be saying, this is crazy. I mean, if you understand the, the concept of, of being adopted by God, that you were chosen, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, what you've done. You were not the cute kid in the orphanage. That's not how this adoption works. That you were lost, blind, naked, unloved, unlovable, and God said, I want you. And so we now say, Wow, look at this love. One pastor said it this way. He said, he said it, it's, it's, it should be seen in this way. If you really get it, if you, uh, at the end of, a, of a, a long work week, you've put in all your hours, you've worked hard for your employer, and then you go and you find you've got your paycheck, you do not open up your paycheck and say, wow, see what love is this, right? 
My boss paid me. And you, you grab other employers. What kind of love the boss has poured out on us? No, you don't do that. Why? Why? Because you expect the paycheck. Why? Because you worked hard for it. You actually deserve the paycheck. You earned it. And if, if you're a really religious kind of person, this is how you can respond to God's grace. Where we can say, well, of course God adopted me. Look at all the good things I've done for him. Look at all these things I've done. And John here is saying, listen, if you can look at your salvation, if you're a Christ follower here this morning and you can see your salvation and not be blown away by it, you probably don't really get it. There's a difference between somebody who's very religious and somebody who is a, a true Christ follower. A true Christ follower is amazed by God's love. It draws your heart to worship. It brings you hope. It takes care of fear. It causes you to say, man, I can't believe that God poured out his love on me. Now, why should it amaze us so much that God is our father? Here's, here's our second point this morning, because we're not perfect kids. We're not perfect kids. I mean, it, it's, it's all grace. It's, it's all through Jesus in our place where he takes our penalty, he takes our sin. And because of his substitutionary atonement on the cross, we now, we now are set free. We are now called children of God, even in the midst of our brokenness, our sinful choices. But here's the truth. God did not just rescue you, but even now as a Christ follower, you still, shocking, shocking news here, you're still not a perfect kid, Right? Now here's the thing, I can almost, I say almost, get my head wrapped around the idea of justification, of being set free from my past sin, that God would step in through Christ and he would rescue me and save me. And I'm like, yeah, I can kind of, sort of put a, a category for that kind of grace, but, but here's where I can't get my head around. Here's where grace amazes me even more, not just in justification, but in sanctification. As you're growing more and more like Jesus, we don't instantly become perfect kids. No, we struggle our whole way to glorification and this, this process called sanctification where we're growing more like Christ. But in that journey, we fail a lot. We sin a lot. And, and my mind's like, man, there's grace even there. That he would still love you even as you sin. That, that he didn't just pick you up out of the orphanage, but, but he then brought you home. And when you, when you threw that tamper tantrum in, the, in the, the middle of the Walmart checkout line because you couldn't get that chocolate bar, that God didn't say, we're done with this one. Now his grace is amazing because the truth is none of us is a perfect child of God. Every one of us still struggles with sin. And this hit me uh, hard this week. I'm studying through 1 John, right? I'm just sort of wrestling through it. And as I'm studying through and hearing what, what God's laying out in and, and his word, I began to be convicted of some area in my life where there was sin. And it was sin against somebody. And my first thought was this, man, I'll just blow that off because they probably don't even remember. They probably don't even recognize. They probably wouldn't even see it. I can just let that go. And, and I didn't even want to admit it to God. Based on 1 John, you can't do that. And so I go to the person who I'd sinned against, I repent, and this person pours out grace on me. And again, I'm reminded of God's grace. That, that I'm so sinful and he's so merciful. That we're imperfect children. 
Look at verse four. Look, look at how John describes what this sin is like. Verse four says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What's he saying? Sin is when we break God's law. When, when we say, God, I know you say this, but I'm gonna do my own thing. I know your word is pretty clear about this. And, and the attitude of our heart is, God, I know what you say. I just would rather do what I want to do. Now think about it again in the context of what we've been talking about this morning. We're talking about those of us who have been adopted into the family. We've been brought home as these broken, sinful people that now declared heirs to the throne. We're brought in. God, not just our judge, but now also our father. And we say, I don't care what you say. And he's a father who's, who's always leaning in and loving us and, and giving us what's good and best. I mean, listen, if you're a parent here this morning and you have kids, I mean, you, you want to love them the best you can. And we see that we, we don't love our kids perfectly. There are times when I hurt my daughters, when I don't do what's best for them, when I, when I give bad advice and, and when I say things that I wish I could take back and have to go and ask forgiveness for. And, and we can do that. I mean, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I, there are times that as I'm parenting my kids, I kind of look around and think, man, who put me in charge of these? <laughs> but here's the beauty. God is a perfect father. He never doesn't know what to do. He, he never gives bad counsel. He is a perfect father. He always knows what's best. He always gives perfect counsel. He always tells us what's best. And yet here's the thing. Even with a perfect father, we push away. We don't trust him. We push against his word. And we, we know that we're, we're called to forgive unconditionally. We say, yeah, but I'm gonna hold on to this bitterness. We're called to purity, but we say, yeah, but I'm still gonna continue to do this thing that makes me feel good. I, I like this. And we're called to generosity, to honesty, to patience, to goodness, to kindness. And we push back on his word. And, and what, what John's saying, the essence of sin here is just that. You're breaking God's law. And John goes on. He doesn't pull any punches here. He says, listen, if, if you're not following your perfect, loving, heavenly father, your all-knowing heavenly father, if you're not following him as your dad, who are you following? When we choose sin, look at verse eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What's he saying? If, if, if we choose to say to God, God, I don't want to listen to you. I want to go my own way. What we're really saying, God, I don't want you for my dad. I've got a better dad over here and I'm going to follow Satan. I want in his family. Whenever we sin, even the smallest sin in our lives, we're following the devil. The, the one who hates us, the one who wants us to be destroyed, the one who wants to lead us to death instead of following our perfect father who loves us and wants to give us life. So then what do we do? What do we do in those moments when we're so imperfect and we make those choices? Look at verse five. It says, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Look at verse eight, it continued on. It says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love those two verses together because what it does is it presses in on you. If, if you struggle with perfectionism 
Man, I, I can, I'm gonna get everything done. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna always obey. I'm always gonna make things right. The, the, these verses speak to you. Or if you're over here and you're more of the, come on, we all sin. It's all good. Let's just keep going. These verses actually hit both of those. I mean, if you're the perfectionist and you're, you're beat down under the oppressive weight of trying to be perfect, that you would read verse five and recognize, wait, Jesus came to take that sin. He's the one who's perfect. There's no sin in him. I'm not perfect. And, and he died in, in my place so I can rest in his grace and I can surrender my life to him. Now, these verses also hit you if you're the person who falls way more to the easy grace side, the, oh, well, Jesus will have to forgive me, so I might as well just keep on in this sin. And John says, if you live like Jesus haven't changed you, then you don't get the gospel. You don't know God as your father. I mean, think about it this way. When, when the woman in adultery was brought to Jesus, remember that story? The Pharisees throw her at Jesus' feet and say she was caught in adultery in the very act of adultery. What are you gonna do? You need to condemn her. And Jesus says some cool things to make all the Pharisees and all the people leave kind of embarrassed, but then he turns to the woman. Listen, the, the perfectionist has said to Jesus, judge her, she broke the law. I'm sure she's probably thinking, can you just overlook this? Can, can, you just, can I just go hide? I don't, I don't wanna be exposed like this. And, and Jesus doesn't step into her life and, and say, listen, I don't condemn you, because come on, everybody sins Everybody messes up. I, I don't condemn you. Just go. They're gone. You can just sneak away. Jesus doesn't say that. But he also, he also doesn't say this. He doesn't say, this is sin, so you are condemned. You broke the commandments of God. He's holy. You need to be holy, so I condemn you too. He doesn't say that. What's he say? Jesus steps in in that moment. He goes, yeah, this is sin, Go and sin no more, but I don't condemn you. He, he speaks to both the perfectionist in us and the easy grace in us. How can he say that? Because verse five says he appeared to take away sin. Because verse nine says he's come to destroy the works of the devil. That he's dealt with that sin. So in those moments of our rebellion and sin, we, we can see the sin so clearly. We don't need to hide it. We say, here it is. At the same time, we trust in Christ's sacrifice. The one who came to destroy the works of the devil. And what do we do? John's already said in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we confess the sin. We turn away from it by his grace, by his mercy. We trust that, that he's not just saving us from past sins, but he's at work even right now, saving you from those very sins that you struggle with today. And we come back to the Father and we say, I'm sorry. I don't want to pursue this sin any longer. We begin to look underneath the actual actions and instead of just the sinful action, we say, Lord, here's the desire that drove my heart to that and I don't want this desire anymore. I want you. That's the Christian life. Every day, every day we, we learn to trust God more than we trust ourselves. When we sin against him, we, we go to him, we, re, we receive his forgiveness, we, we grow in that experience of his love and grace poured out on us. I mean, that's what Christianity is. It's imperfect children with a perfect father. 
and we're growing in grace. We're growing to, to know him more, to trust him more, to love him more and more. And what happens is this. As imperfect kids, as we do this more and more walking in his grace, we begin to take on family traits. It becomes more obvious who our father is just by people looking at our lives. Here's our last point this morning. It's this, I, I look like my father. When we live out the grace of God this way, we start to display a family likeness. And, and, and so we have God as our father. We're imperfect kids, but Jesus destroying the works of the devil so that sin doesn't have power over us anymore. And, and what happens then, now we're free to live out the life that Christ has called us to. And we grow. Every day, Scripture says, more and more like Christ. More and more, we start to look like our new family. More and more, we start to look like our father. When, and when Libby and I were um, being trained up to plant this church uh, 10, or, 10 or so years ago, and we were in Chicago, which is a really big church, and we, we had, McKinley was just a little, little one, and, and Ellie was super small as well, and, and we checked McKinley into Harvest Kids, right, like they would have, and they have the whole, you know, system to make sure that, that the kids are safe. Well, I lost the little ticket that says that's my kid. So my first thing was, sweet, we'll just go get another one. No, I didn't do that. I, I'm like, how do I pick up McKinley now? So I, I go to the checkout where there she is with all the other toddlers. And I'm like, I'm here to pick up McKinley. And they're like, do you have your tag? I'm like, I don't, I don't have it. By now, McKinley's walked up beside me. So here's what I did. I just picked her up and put her next to my, her face next to my face. And we went, she's like, she's yours. <laughs> go ahead, right? Why? Because as a, she just had, she looked, oh yeah, she's obviously your daughter. Now, as my kids grow older, people start to say things like, wow, wow, you act just like your dad. Sometimes it's good things, sometimes not so good things, right? But the good thing, when, when, when God's your heavenly father, you, you begin to look more and more like him. In fact, Romans 8, 28 and 29, it says this. It says, we know that for those who love God, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we love that verse. Man, if we know God, all things are working out for, for good for those he's called to his purpose. Well, you read the verses, keep going in those verses. What's the purpose that he's called us to? Even in the, those toughest times in your life where, where things look bleak to know that God is still working together for good for this purpose of, of what he's using even those things for, the verses go on and say he's doing it. Why? So that you can be conformed into the image of his son. So you begin to look more like the family you've been adopted into. The whole point of our life is to look more like Jesus. Well, look at verse two of chapter three. It says this, beloved, we are God's children now. How cool is that? We've been adopted now. Then he says this, and what, <clears throat> what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What's he saying? He's saying Christ appeared in the past as a, as a baby. He came to earth. God, the son, grew up, lived that perfect life, died for our sins, and we've been now set free, adopted in the family. But he's saying, but he's going to come again. He will appear again. And we're looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to when Jesus comes again. But if I don't live my life in that direction, saying, I want to grow more and more like Jesus, if I just keep on sinning and I just don't care about it, he's saying it's a sure sign you actually aren't in the family. 
You're not living like a child of God. You're not living for that day when you're waiting for when, when your faith becomes sight, when, when the striving and the struggling and the growing and the sanctifying work becomes complete. When you're like, wow, there's Jesus, my brother, the perfect brother, God the Father, my perfect father. John's saying, if you're not living, if you're not living towards that, then, then you probably don't know the Father. In fact, look what he says in verse nine. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. That, that word there, that seed, it's the Holy Spirit's been placed in you if you're a Christ follower. And he says, if, if you have that in you, you can't keep on sinning because you've been born of God. Now let's make sure we understand what, what John's saying here. He's saying if you practice sin, you're not a child of God. Now we've already, just, we've already said this, we're not perfect kids. We all sin. We, we need Jesus desperately today. So John's not saying if you ever sin, you don't know Jesus. Verse four, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning. Verse nine, those who practice sin. What's he saying? This, this word practice they're like, I've had a lot of practice at some sins. Here's what he's really saying. He's saying this, it's, it's like the, the way of your life. It's like a doctor who has a doctor's practice or a lawyer's practice. It's your occupation, it's what you do. Or, or maybe you'd be someone who would say, I have a practice of getting up early in the morning. It's just the way my life goes. That's my practice. So the word picture here that John's using is this, this picture of, of actively, continually sinning with, without confession, without repentance, without brokenness, without a desire to turn away from the thing you're pursuing. The Bible's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a, a child of God, persistence in sin without confession, without repentance, it's unthinkable, John says. You have the spirit in you. You have the, the seed of God in you, the Holy Spirit. And, and listen, if you place an apple seed in the ground, what grows up? An apple tree. If you place God's spirit in you, what's supposed to be produced out of you will be Christ-likeness. So if you really do have new life in you, you grow into his likeness and you flee from sin. And if you, if you fall into sin, you don't stay in that sin. You leave it, you hate it, you confess it, you, you fight it. And the next time you're tempted, you fight it with even more diligence, with greater passion. Why? Because you hate it all the more because you want to be like Jesus. And verse three says, we hope in Jesus and we are purified. Do you recognize that that's not a command? It doesn't say hope in Jesus and be pure. It says when you hope in Jesus, you are purified. There's evidence that comes from your hope in Christ. When you start to understand how deeply loved you are, you're gonna be about living a life that looks like Christ. There's evidence that you belong to him. So my question this morning is, is as you look at your life, what does it look like? Is there evidence of your heavenly father? Verse 10, it says, by this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who doesn't love his brother. And we're, we're gonna get into that more in the next couple sermons, what it looks like to love each other as evidence. But, but see what he's saying there? If you live in sin, if there's bitterness, you, you just won't let go of. If there's an apathy about your faith, 
If there's dishonesty or, or anger or greed or, or disobedience or pride or unforgiveness, listen, anything there that you just continually go to, that's kind of the bent of my heart is towards that. John says your heart is rebellious. And listen, it may be a passive, apathetic kind of rebellion. It may be an outright active, pursuing, angry rebellion. But listen, if you're living in that day in, day out, you're ultimately reflecting the DNA of your family. And John says, if you live in sin day in and day out and it doesn't bother you, you don't repent, you don't confess, you don't come back, he says, you're living like your father, the devil. He says, because that's how he's operated from the beginning. So you can't live in that space and claim to know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So, so this morning, where are you this morning in this? Who would you say you listen to as your father? Who do you follow as your dad? What would your life say? Because John's saying this, bring your sin into the light. Experience the amazing love of the father and then live out the truth of who you are. Out of your identity flows your action. Who you are determines what you do. And God steps in and we say, look at this love of God. When, when uh, one of my kids, I, I won't say who it is to embarrass her, but my youngest, when she was um, really little, um, Chloe, and maybe you've had kids who've done this too. Chloe got into the big jar of Vaseline that you're using, you're changing, right? She gets into this jar of Vaseline and just goes to town in it. It's everywhere, just smearing it all over face, hair, everything. In fact, when, when Libby got into the bathroom and saw her, she started to video it. It's the most hilarious video ever. And, and Chloe's like, I think we need more Vaseline. Like she, it's gone, right? It's all gone. And, and in that moment, when you, when you see this kid, I mean, just covered. I mean, if you know how hard it is to clean off Vaseline, just covered in Vaseline. In that moment, you're thinking, man, it would be easier to make another one than clean this one up, right? <laughs> but isn't that exactly what God could have said to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden? When they fell into sin, they weren't covered in Vaseline. They're covered in shame of their sin. God could have said, you know what? I'm starting over again. It'd be easier to bring a whole new world into creation. But he didn't. Instead, instead at great cost to himself, he made us new. Restored us rebuilt us, transforming us. And so what do we do? We continue to listen to the spirit of God at work in our lives, changing us, that, that seed in us, growing us more and more like Christ, producing in you these family traits where you begin to forgive like Jesus. You begin to love like Jesus. You begin to serve like Jesus, give like Jesus. Your life reflects Jesus Christ. And, and you begin to love those around you more. You begin to live your life on mission. We're like, man, I, I wanna go after the hurting and the broken in our community that nobody else is pursuing. I want to pursue them. I want to be where Jesus would be in that case. You begin to be on mission for Christ. You, you, you reach out beyond your grasp. You're, you're involved in the community here, loving each other with a, a deep love that, I mean, in scripture, they called each other brother and sister. I just read this. There was a historian who said in the first century, people didn't call each other brother who weren't actually brothers because there was a legal term to use the word brother. So you couldn't just call anybody brother or sister. 
Because it, it meant they're a part of your family. They get your inheritance. They get this. And, the, and the, the early church is like, forget that, man. We are brothers and sisters. To begin to change them. Here's what I love. In the book of Acts, in the, in the first century church, Acts 11, the world looking in on this group of believers. And the world says, man, you know who you guys remind us of? And it's in Acts 11, they're first given the name Christians. Church didn't come up with that name. They didn't, they didn't have a, a logo kind of search. They weren't thinking, hey, what's be a good name for us? We gotta brand ourselves. What's our Twitter handle gonna be, right? The, the world looking in said, you remind us of someone. You're little Christs. You're Christians. Is that being said about us? I mean, how do we get there? If you go back to the very beginning of this whole passage of scripture we're in this morning, verse 28 says, and now little children abide in him. There's the command. Everything else we've been reading about has been an outflowing of, of recognizing the understanding, the grace of God. Well, how do I get there? What, what am I commanded to do to understand that? John says, abide in Christ. It goes on, and when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That when Christ returns again, and not coming as a baby this time, but he's coming as a king, as a warrior, as a judge to rule, we won't shrink back when we see him coming. Why? Why won't we be worried? It's not because we have confidence in ourselves. Man, I've done so much good. I can't wait to see Jesus. I'll show him all the good I've done. No, no, we have confidence because we're abiding in him because we're getting to know him and his word, because we're, we're submitting to the spirit, because we're loving him more and more and you, you love him so much now so that when you see him, when he comes again, he's not a stranger to you. You're like, man, I know you. you you're gonna be excited, not, not shrink back in shame, but yes, the one I've loved for years, I finally get to see face to face and you're transformed and you look forward to that day. You look forward to that day more than you look forward to a vacation. You look forward to that day more than you look forward to, to getting married or having kids or getting a, a better job. You look forward to that more than anything you can buy. You look forward to that day more than anything else in the whole world. And as you do that, looking forward to that day because on that day you will see him and you will be like him. And on that day we'll be free from the very presence of sin. Free from sorrow, free from death, free to live forever as children of God. We'll be with God, our perfect father, Jesus, our, our perfect brother, along with all the other brothers and sisters from every tongue, tribe, and nation, our whole family together. It's gonna be awesome. You know, week after week, I read through the prayer requests and the things you read in there, they just, it's, it's just, it's every week you're reading about people saying, hey, would you pray for my family because we just had a diagnosis of cancer. This week, would you pray for mar my marriage because I, I don't know if it's gonna survive. Would you pray for my kids because I'm not sure what's going on and I, I don't wanna lose them to the world? Would you, would you pray for, for this addiction that I've got? Would you, would you pray for the struggle that I'm in, the sin I can't get past? Would you, all these prayer requests and listen. If you're a child of God, that right now, Jesus Christ seated beside your heavenly father, interceding for us in the midst of these struggles that Jesus knows all of them. One day, one day the father is going to turn to the son and say it's time. And the son will come back and listen, cancer will be no more. 
Struggles will be no more. Divorce will be no more. Broken relationships will be no more. In fact, those broken relationships will be restored beautifully. Sin and sorrow will cease. Death itself swallowed up in victory. And so every day we look forward to that. We look forward to that family reunion that we're going to have where we'll see him face to face and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes forever. And we'll know with perfect clarity the joy of saying, I'm a child of God. Listen, as the worship team comes up this morning, as we end off this morning, we're gonna sing and remember this very truth that we are, if you're a Christ follower, you can say I'm a child of God. And here's, here's how I want you to respond this morning. If, if, if you don't know Christ this morning, Maybe you came in here going, yeah, I don't, man. That's why I'm checking this out. Here, here's my, my plea to you that this morning would be the morning that you would say, I wanna follow him today. I wanna be able to stand up and declare I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed, I've been saved, I've been transformed, and he's now gonna work in my life to make me more like Jesus. And my hope would be that, that if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, that this morning is the morning you say, I don't wanna pursue my sin any longer because I wanna wait for that day when I don't shrink back in shame. Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't walk in here just boldly saying, I'm not a Christ follower, but you start to look at your life and you're like, I'm not sure how sure I am of this. Maybe you'd be bold enough to say, yeah, I'm superficial. I mean, I talk about it, but my life wouldn't reflect it. Nobody would look into my life and say, I know whose family you're a part of. You remind me of Jesus. And my hope would be this, that this morning, that your hope is in the same place, that you would come and you would say, here's my sin. You say, God, here it is. I have not loved well. I haven't responded to your love. I've been pursuing after another father. I've been pursuing my life in a whole different direction. I don't want to do this anymore. That this morning, this morning you come to that place and say, I, I want to begin a real relationship. I want to truly be a child of God today. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to do this stupid religious game anymore because it's, why would I want to keep doing that? Look, I, I want to be a true follower of Christ. So again, I can look forward to that day when Christ returns. If you're here this morning and, and you, you hear this and, and your heart wells up, you're like, yeah, I, man, I can't believe that God would pour his love out on me, that your response this morning would be a response of worship. That again, you'd be in awe again. You'd be blown away again. I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe God chose me because I know I don't deserve it. I know that I was lost and broken and blind. I know that even by my daily actions, I'm not a perfect child, and yet God steps in to change me. And this morning, you, you would have a heart filled in awe of his love. You'd respond in worship. And that worship, that, that recognizing the love of God would be experienced in a life that continues to be changed. So just stand with me now as I pray before we sing. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we want to respond to your word this morning with hearts of worship. Worship for your love poured out on us today. And God, I, I pray, I pray for those across this room right now, Lord. Lord, that you'd be able to do a work in hearts, even now, Lord, for those who are cold and apathetic, you would woo them to you. God, for those who are running, that you would bring them back home. 
God, even right now that there would be, there'd be students here that have heard this word and say, yeah, I, I want to live like a child of God. I haven't been. That there'd be elderly here who would say, I mean, I, I've been doing this life for a long time, but today, today's a day I, I can say I'm a child of God. There'd be parents here, young people here, adults here. Lord God, that if they don't know you, that today would be the day they say, I want to become a child of God. Those who have been living in doubt and Satan's been whispering these lies that they're not, God, that today, today they can be assured, Lord, if they know you, if they're, they're following you, if they're abiding in you, God, that today would be a day that across this room that there would be an assurance of your love. That you would encourage sons and daughters today in the midst of whatever they're struggling with, that you would encourage them. You call us all to your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.